break 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 you are now listening to breakthrough news You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back with you here on The Punch-Out, 26th of May. 2021. Happy to be back with you here. Plenty for you on the show, as we always do. We're going to be talking about Anthony Blinken, U.S. Secretary of State in Israel. We're going to be talking about some legal heat coming at big tech. But before we get to either of those two important stories, we start with the ongoing fight over patent waivers as it concerns COVID-19 vaccines. Well, the war over COVID-19 vaccine patents isn't over, despite the fact that the U.S. reversed its position and supported at least the idea of an intellectual property waiver for vaccines. Now the battle has shifted to Europe and Australia, where Big Pharma is trying to make sure those countries stand strong against measures that could help curtail the pandemic, but would, of course, lessen their profits. As the Wall Street Journal reports today, quote, Pharmaceutical industry trade groups have been moving to support Germany, Japan, and other countries that expressed opposition. Industry lobbyists have told the governments in meetings and phone calls that a waiver wouldn't address shortages anytime soon while straining raw materials supplies. Vaccine makers have also rolled out pledges to deliver more doses to developing countries, which are pressed for the waiver. And the industry representatives have been lobbying members of Congress to pressure the Biden administration to reverse its support of the waiver. End quote. The decision can't be made until all members of the World Trade Organization agree, so the holdouts certainly matter. The whole thing is expected to come to a head at the latest in November. Interestingly enough, drug companies are putting the blame back on rich countries, like the U.S. and the EU, that are hoarding vaccines, suggesting that those countries releasing vaccine doses would make a bigger impact. And they're not exactly wrong here, since the U.S., Canada, and the EU have enough vaccines locked up to vaccinate many times more people than their countries actually have. And in the U.S. in particular, it's clear many vaccines are going unused. That being said, though, the core of their arguments are definitely specious. The main arguments the drug companies are using is that most developing countries don't have the technology to produce the vaccines and that it would take too long to set up the infrastructure to make a difference. And You know, that's why they're saying that releasing vaccines in the first world would be a better option. But they're also making the argument that the reason the waiver isn't needed is that they can both find more companies in the developing world to partner with and that they are themselves shipping more vaccines to the global south. So they're arguing that the developing world does not have the capacity to manufacture vaccines in a significant way. But wait, then they're arguing that it does just as long as they partner with Big Pharma. They're also saying that they're hamstrung by countries like the U.S. having locked up all their production with these contracts. But on the other, they're saying that they can ship tens of millions of more doses to developing countries this year. As for this timescale issue of how long it would take, Big Pharma is saying it would take months, quote unquote, to transfer technology after a waiver. I mean, okay, but Pfizer said it would take them 18 months to ship 2 billion doses to developing countries. And Moderna just promised more doses, quote unquote, later this year. 
So as you can surmise, they clearly don't have much of a logical argument here. They're just throwing a bunch of stuff out there, spending tons on lobbying, and hoping it keeps enough countries on side to prevent a vaccine patent waiver. There is, however, a kernel of truth to the arguments they're making, which is that the waiver isn't a panacea. Without a significant ramping up of production of various raw materials in particular, it will be difficult to break the deadlock here. The United States, or the gridlock, I should say, as it concerns vaccines. The United States is the key supplier of a range of these various raw materials, and the Biden administration is currently looking into investing in increased production along these lines. Representative Buddy Carter, a Republican of Georgia, who's the leader of congressional opposition to the waiver, also makes a fair point that the U.S. itself can and should ramp up vaccine production significantly to help address the global shortage. However, the reason it's only a kernel of truth is, in reality, it's an all of the above, not an either or choice. The entire logic behind the waiver is not that it solves all problems, but that it helps put all capacities online. It creates the maximum possibility for collaboration between companies, countries, and institutes at all stages of the production and distribution chain to maximize the global vaccine production capacity. It's also worth noting that the waiver only allows enough production to address the issue and is time-limited. So the real objection really isn't about COVID-19 vaccines per se. As the journal reports, quote, drug makers fear COVID-19 vaccine waiver could set a precedent for sharing intellectual property of other medicines, end quote. So in other words, they are worried that if one decision is made to waive patents in a global health emergency, that a strong case will be made, I mean, and it almost certainly can be made, in many other major global health issues. And there will be a big push for similar types of waivers to provide cheaper drugs. Good for you and me, of course. Bad for big pharma's huge profit margins. They, of course, argue that they have to charge high prices to cover the research, something that's been proven false again and again, but that's just further driven home by the fact that Moderna and Sputnik V, two of the world's most effective vaccines, were developed almost entirely with public money. So the struggle continues over whether or not profit will be allowed to impede public health all across the globe. Big tech monopolies are still riding high in the global economy, that's for sure, but increasingly they are coming under some legal attack for the monopoly power they exert. The European Commission today announced it was starting an antitrust probe into Facebook. The District of Columbia has filed an antitrust lawsuit against Amazon. Apple is locked in an ongoing antitrust lawsuit with Epic Games, and the U.S. Congress seems to have bipartisan momentum to pass laws dealing with various antitrust issues that are aimed directly at big tech. Financial Times reported this morning, quote, EU officials have already sent at least three rounds of questions to Facebook and its rivals, asking whether the social network is distorting the classified ads business by promoting its marketplace services for free to its 2 billion users. They also note, quote, Facebook is also facing a separate antitrust probe in the UK. The Competition and Markets Authority is looking into whether the social network is allegedly using data it collects to undermine rivals in online advertising. Like Brussels, UK regulators are likely to zoom in on Facebook's behavior around its marketplace. Now, Apple is wrapped up in a few antitrust suits, actually, in the US and Europe, and they've been rhetorically accused of monopoly behavior by EU officials. But the most consequential of the lawsuits in question seem to be a lawsuit filed by Fortnite developer Epic Games, accusing them of abusing their control over all apps through the App Store. Epic is arguing that Apple is wrong on two counts. First, for refusing to allow other app stores onto iPhones and thus blocking any competition. If you think about it like this, if you had other app stores allowed, then of course they'd try to find ways to cut deals with app developers as well as offer their own specialized services 
so that the whole thing would end up being cheaper and more efficient, or at least potentially than Apple. So by not allowing it, they're unfairly limiting competition. Apple says, though, that they have to do this because it's how they ensure that the privacy elements of the various apps are up to snuff. Epic also argues that because Apple prohibits apps from telling people they have that there are cheaper ways to do in-app purchases than going through Apple's system, where they take as much as a 30% cut, they are unfairly using their power since you can only get your app on an iPhone through the App Store to price gouge the companies and prevent customers from choosing cheaper options. The judge in the case seemed sympathetic to Epic's second argument there when Apple CEO Tim Cook was on the witness stand last Friday. Cook argues that at the end of the day, though, developers get customers through access to the app store, so it's a benefit to them, and that it's a fair business model that simply just allows them to profit off of the intellectual property they produced. So that's where that case stands now. The Attorney General of the District of Columbia hit Amazon on a somewhat similar issue with the lawsuit on Tuesday, arguing that Amazon violates the district's antitrust laws by prohibiting sellers in its marketplace from offering lower prices on other platforms. Amazon charges fees to be on the marketplace. They then monitor the internet and see if the same companies that are using the marketplace are offering lower prices somewhere else obviously because they're paying less fees than what Amazon charges. And if it turns out you are offering lower prices, Amazon reserves the right to no longer feature your products. So ultimately, they're controlling the prices and shutting out competitors since access to Amazon is so critical for online sales. It seems DC may be getting an assist here from another big monopoly, Walmart. The lawsuit states, quote, Walmart routinely fields requests from merchants to raise prices on Walmart's online retail sales platform because the merchants worry that a lower price on Walmart will jeopardize their status on Amazon, end quote. Now, how exactly does the D.C. Attorney General know that? Maybe they just talked to a lot of third-party sellers that are telling them that they're reaching out to Walmart. But something tells me Walmart may have made sure this information ended up with the AG for obvious reasons here. And interestingly enough, the rumored top candidate to head up the Federal Trade Commission under Joe Biden, yet to be nominated, uh, and the FTC brings a lot of antitrust action and covers a lot of that in terms of the legal responsibilities. But again, the top candidate, D.C. Attorney General Carl Racine. In Congress in April, there was a hearing that bashed many of these companies for similar issues. Spotify, for instance, testified that Apple prevents them from alerting people to cheaper subscription options outside of its iPhone app. They're also suing Apple for that in Europe, by the way. There are rumors abounding in Washington that there's a growing bipartisan consensus around a bill that addresses some of these app store practices. Where this all ends up, of course, we'll just have to see. Whether it makes any difference in terms of monopoly in the tech industry is, well, honestly, fairly doubtful. Most of the issues at play only really touch the edges of the monopoly uh, status that these companies hold. That being said, it is clear that at the very least, regulators, legislators, and courts seem to at least want to give the appearance that they are doing something on these issues. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is making the rounds with Israeli government officials and the Palestinian Authority, trying to appear like the U.S. is somehow a neutral party, trying to just bring both sides together and solve the problem. That's something that he's clearly failing at. I mean, and how could he not, since it's not true? Blinken tried to use the various stops he made to offer these extremely, extremely, extremely veiled criticisms, not even clear they were, noting multiple times that many children had been killed in the latest round of violence. However, he refused to actually blame Israel and just repeated it many times, the same normal nostrums about how the U.S. supports Israel's right to self-defense. 
which actually means massive offensive wars where they kill many times the number of Palestinians as the resistance can Israelis in response. A policy that they use wantonly and widely, with no regard, it seems, for civilian life or collateral damage, despite their constant claims to the contrary. Blinken's offers to the Palestinians were honestly so meager they were really insulting. Blinken claims that the U.S. wants to lead the reconstruction effort of Gaza, but says they will not cooperate with Hamas and that the Palestinian Authority must be in charge of the efforts. And that is, of course, totally absurd, since, due to elections, by the way, Hamas controls the Gaza Strip, the Palestinian Authority has no real authority or support there. So clearly what's going on is the U.S. is trying to give a bunch of money to the Palestinian Authority, which can try to use it as leverage against Hamas. In fact, other U.S. officials have already stated that the U.S. wants to tie aid to conditions on eliminating the rocket and resistance infrastructure in Gaza. So under the guise of rebuilding Gaza, the U.S. is attempting to use aid to weaken the ability of Palestinians to resist Israel's apartheid policies and increase the power of the clearly isolated and deeply unpopular Palestinian Authority that has shown that it is 100% willing to collaborate with apartheid authorities. Other than that, Blinken just offered statements of general support for the Palestinian Authority and Palestinians in general that amounted to the diplomatic version of thoughts and prayers. The Israelis essentially mocked Blinken at every turn, constantly highlighting the U.S. support for the brutal bombing campaign in Gaza, showing just how hollow his words of alleged support for Palestinians really were. Prime Minister Netanyahu also made a show of lecturing Blinken on everything from settlements to the Iran deal and making a separate speech during Blinken's visit, stressing his willingness to crack down even harder on Palestinians. So while the Biden administration is clearly eager not to look in lockstep with apartheid, the truth is, as it concerns the U.S. support for the Israeli occupation, no matter how brutal, nothing has fundamentally changed. And that's going to do it for us here today on The Punch-Out. We'll be back with you tomorrow on The Punch-Out, 5 p.m. Eastern, as we always are. And don't forget, also today, you can get our patrons-only edition of The Punch-Out, but only if you're a patron. So go to patreon.com slash breakthrough news, become a patron, and you can also get another edition of The Punch-Out here today. But again, we'll be back with you on our regular edition of The Punch-Out tomorrow, 5 p.m. Eastern, here on Breakthrough News.